Let's get right to it. We're going to be in Mark 3.20. Mark 3.20, if you want to turn there. We're going to be in Mark 3.20. Uh, really tough scripture today. Uh, every Monday, I sit down with the scripture, and I go, what are we looking at this week? How is this going to go? How hard is this going to be? Uh, and this was one of the hardest weeks. I sit down and look at it. I'm like, oh, my goodness. How do I communicate this? There's going to be times throughout the, throughout the message where you're like, what is he communicating? What is he saying? What is the scripture saying? Uh, but here's the thing about the scriptures. Uh, the scriptures can fit in, in one of two categories, and I saw this illustration the other day. You can either determine what the scriptures say, or you can discover what the scriptures say. So, so you can stand over the top of the scriptures, and you can try to determine what it says, meaning this is a really hard scripture. I want to skip this. I want to gloss over this. I want to make this say what I want it to say. And you can stand over the scriptures, on top of the scriptures, and say this is what I want the Bible to say, or you can discover what the Bible says. Meaning as hard as it is, uh, as hard at times as it is to understand certain scriptures, you stand under it. It is your authority. You, you, you stand with family together. We open the scriptures verse by verse all the way through the book of Mark together. And you learn together in context. Meaning we don't skip. We don't ignore. We don't gloss over. When it gets hard, we don't retreat. We go right into the scriptures. Right? So, so you can either determine under you or discover it be over you. Today, hopefully we're discovering together. Uh, this is, again, Mark 3.20. Let's get right into the scripture. Uh, then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so they could not even eat. Uh, remember two weeks ago, the crowds are so thick, Jesus thinks he's going to die like Mufasa. There's like a stampede of people. Uh, today, they're so thick, he could not even eat. Next verse. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. What happened? What just happened here? We, we knew that Jesus had haters. Okay? We knew the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, all these religious leaders were haters. They're drinking the haterade. But now his family, the word family is used, comes in and, the, and his family's hating. His family's like, Jesus is out of his mind. He's possessed by Beelzebub. What happened here? Now, we're going to use the term hater uh, today often. And maybe you're not as hip as me. And I'm being facetious because I just use the word hip. All right, so the word hater, the technical definition of hater. It's not going to be on the screen, but I need you to pay attention. The, the technical definition of hater is someone who be hating. Okay? Very technical. Maybe you need to write that down in your journal. Okay? Next verse. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But it is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. It's getting confusing. I get it. We'll, we'll clarify this. Unless he first binds a strong man, then indeed he may plunder the house. Verse 28. Truly I say to you, all the sins will be forgiven of the children of man. Any sin. Every sin. And whatever blasphemies they utter, verse 29, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Yikes. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Mark 3, 20 through 30 again. I think it was about three years ago, uh, and, and three people in a row in like two weeks told me I was getting a dad bod. Uh, three of them. Right in a row. I'm like, wow, this might be a sign from heaven that I need to exercise. Uh, I had put on tremendous poundage over the years. Not, not, not tremendous, but en enough where they were right. 
Uh, and so next morning, because of the haters, 6 a.m., I was out there. Now, it had been a while, so I, I still had like those swishy pants. So I'm out there 6 a.m., swish, 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 nylon swishy pants, all right? And, and I'm just, I'm, in my mind, I'm listening to like hip-hop music, and I'm like, Aunt Cindy's going to be wrong. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not getting a dad, but I'm out there, and this, like the haters are motivating me. And you would think maybe you just went out once. Like most people, they just go out once and, okay, yeah, let's go back to ice cream in the morning. But for me, I was out there for eight months. Eight months, I ran, I ate well, I lost 20 pounds. And really, it was all because of the haters. And I looked back and I went, maybe that was not a great motivation. Maybe that's not a super healthy identity motivation, you know, item there. Maybe, I mean, it's good to be healthy, but for me, I let the haters drive me. And maybe you have 1 to 12 embarrassing scenarios where the haters drove you, where the haters got under your skin, and you did something just in response to them, not, into a, not in a healthy response, but you did something in a, in a response to the haters. In other words, haters can be good for business. Ever heard this before? Haters can be good for business. Uh, many athletes, they thrive off the haters. So there'll be someone, they get picked like 14th in the NBA draft, the NFL draft. For me and you, that would be enough. We're going to make millions of dollars playing a sport. We're like, that's pretty good, right? For these guys, they remember every, or gals, remember every name of the 13 people that went before them. They put them on their wall and they stare at the haters every night. Maybe you know somebody in publication of some sort or they, they do talk radio or, or you know, they write blogs, whatever it is. They'll tell you haters are good for business. Because the haters drive conversation, the haters drive drama, the haters drive clicks, and the haters drive subscriptions in the end. The haters are good for business. Maybe you uh, got, got a promotion at your job because you just wanted to get it over that hater. Like, you didn't even really want the job. There's no real raise that comes with it. It's just more responsibility. But you did it because you didn't want that person to get the job. Haters are good for business. Uh, it was the great 21st century poet, 50 Cent. I'm just kidding. I know his name is 50 Cent. <laughs> he said, if they hate, then let them hate and watch the money pile up. Right? Really deep stuff there from 50 Cent. <laughs> now, these are mostly unhealthy motivations. Like maybe under a thick slab of insecurity, there's, there's, there's some healthy motivations there from the haters. But I want to address a much more serious version of this. Because Jesus has a tremendous amount of haters. He's got a cornucopia of haters. And the haters are, are actually who kill Jesus, right? And you would think the haters are bad for business, but in the end, the haters are good for the kingdom. The haters are good for the kingdom. And so I, I want to title today's message, Haters Are Good for Business. Haters are good for business. Not just because Jesus loves to rise up and because Christianity, Christianity rises up in the face of persecution, Although that is true, right? There's a famous quote that says, the seed of the church is the, is, is the blood of martyrs. And it's because God loves to rise up in the midst of hate. He loves to rise up in the midst of persecution and make us stronger than ever before. Ever before. The haters aren't just good for business because of that, but the haters are good for business because they tell you who you actually are. They let you know, do you actually love Jesus? Like you personally, do you actually love Jesus? See, boldness is not a question of fear or boldness. Boldness is a question of love. Do you really love Jesus? 
Is this a relationship of response? That's what we say all the time. It's not a, it's not a religion of rules, right? This is not why we do this. It's not why we come to church. It's not why we don't smoke or chew or, 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 or any of those things. We, we, it's, it's not because of that. It's, it's out of a relationship of response, right? Meaning we're responding to this deep love of God where he sent his only son to die for us. And that's why we do what we do. Not because it's on a religious law somewhere. But that, that, because we love God. We're in a relationship with God. And if you want your relationship with God to be powerful in front of others, if you want to be a conduit for the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you want your love to go forth, it's going to come down to one thing, authenticity. Do you mean what you say? When you say that you love Jesus, do you show it in public? Do you mean it in public? Because there are a thousand instances throughout every week week, where you have a chance to be proud of your relationship with Jesus. And there are other instances where you just choose to kind of be embarrassed by him. And really, if you want to be a good conduit of the power of God, the love of God, it's going to come down to authenticity. Do you mean your love for Jesus? Are you actually in this thing? Are you in this relationship with God? Let's go back to the scripture. If you're brand new, what we like to do is we like to read kind of the whole chunk, and then we go back and really dissect it verse by verse. We're spending the whole year again in Mark. Verse 20 then he went home, and the crowd gathered again. Now, let's not get ahead of ourselves. we got to know exactly who the crowd is, uh, where, he, where he's coming from, where did the crowds come from. You know, Jesus, up to this point, has a massive following. He's probably the most popular person in, in all of the ancient uh, all, all of the ancient circles. Uh, people are following from everywhere. And Jesus has a habit of dipping, right, since I'm feeling really culturally, culturally relevant today. He dips out, okay? So I think, and I can't biblically or theologically prove this, but I think Jesus has a boat guy, okay? Because every time there's a lot of people, he just hops on a boat and he goes, right? It's kind of, it's kind of weird. Hops on a boat and he goes. And, and, and I think it's because this is overwhelming, right? Like he, he, he thinks he's going to get trampled at one point and now he can't even eat. And he gets on a boat, and he leaves after healing, I don't know, 50 to 200 people or feeding a bunch of people. He hops on a boat, he gets to the other side, and it's like the creepy crowd ran around the lake and got to the other side, and there they are again. It's overwhelming. And we know who the crowd is from two weeks ago. They're from everywhere. They're from Tyre and Sidon. They're from all the way down south. They're from 100 miles away, which means they left house and family and job to travel sometimes for months at a time on foot or by camel just to see Jesus. So you would think that these people love Jesus, right? I mean, these people had leprosy, and Jesus is healing them. These people couldn't walk, and Jesus is healing them. These people are blind, and Jesus is healing them. You would think that Jesus has earned their love. He's earned their trust. You would think that he's had their back, so they would have his back. You ever think about that? They should have his back at this point. But let's go back to the scripture, verse 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard this, his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. Hi, haters. What happened there? I I thought, thought we was peoples. I'm healing all these people. I'm preaching. I'm loving. The message that I'm giving is mercy and love, and God loves you, and I love you. And all of a sudden... They're saying he's crazy? Can you, can you imagine being in a relationship with someone and they're like, you know, you know what? 
I know, I know you've been doing this for years now, but you're crazy in front of people. Now, I want to I kind of get rid of a misconception. Some of you guys are thinking, is this Mary? Is this Mama? Like Mother Mary from Christmas? She's a hater now? This is not Jesus' immediate family. Sometimes, like we said, you, you can let the Bible, uh, you can determine what the Bible says, or you can look deep in the context and, and discover what it's really saying. So let's let the Bible teach us the Bible this morning. Let's find out who his family is by looking into next week's scripture. Verse 33, and he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about it, those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, now we get it. It's his messianic family. It's his family of followers that are just abandoning him in this moment and calling him crazy in front of everybody else. What happened? What happened? I think it's that they're sitting in the crock pot of religion. The pressure cooker of religion. I mean, these religious leaders that have all the power here, they're rolled up so tight they're like a mozzarella stick. And all these people feel is judgment and fear and shame and anxiety. And in that moment, a moment that we all get, they abandon Jesus. Here's the leaders, verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons he cast out. This, this is these people. They're rolled up so tight. I bet you someone's smoking a cigarette. No, there's no cigarettes back in the day. But if someone's smoking a cigarette outside the church, there they go out and they're condemning them to hell. These people can't take a step without being condemned to hell. They can't sin without being condemned to hell. And so in this moment where all the pressure is on, a moment again that we all get, they choose... To call Jesus crazy. And maybe you have too. These people, the religious leaders, have been looking for a chance to put Jesus down. Why? Because they have power, they have money, and Jesus is a threat to all of that. For his family, Jesus is a threat to their reputation. Jesus is a threat to your reputation. And so the moment comes where they have a chance to be a contender for Jesus or a pretender behind Jesus. Again, moment that we all get, you can be a contender for Jesus or a pretender behind Jesus, and they choose to be pretenders. They choose to protect their reputation. They choose uh, to not be proud of their association with Jesus. They choose to bow to the haters. This is what I'm saying. Haters are good for business. They tell you exactly who you are. Someone comes at you in a coffee shop. Someone comes at you at your job. Someone comes at you in your, your own house, and they're talking about you as a follower of Jesus and why you believe what you believe, and you probably hate this person and that person. You probably hate gay people, and you're probably you know, hating me because I, I'm for abortion and not for abortion. This is what goes on in our culture and society right now. When you have a chance in, in that moment to love Jesus with salt and grace and mercy and, and pride, look, I love Jesus, and I'm willing, for, I'm willing to have dialogue. You get a chance to really be the light in that moment, or you can cower back. And here at this church, we, we like to address those things. These people choose, you know what, I, I'm going to choose to be a pretender, not a contender, and they choose not to be proud of their relationship with Jesus because they want to protect their reputation. How many of you grew up in a time where you played capture the flag? Raise your hand with me. Capture the flag. Good. I grew up in this thing where there was a neighborhood and you went outside when you were a kid. It was crazy. Your parents, they just kicked you outside. They're like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with you right now. Get outside. 
and you'd be out there for hours running around the neighborhood, no supervision. Y'all remember these days? I don't know if there was less creepers or what, but man, we were outside. We spent our summers outside, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. There we were. Our family had no clue what we were doing. My mother had a bell. She'd ring the bell for dinner time. It was so embarrassing. My, everybody made fun of me. But bling, 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 bling. Oh, there, <laughs> there go Justin's mom again. <laughs> the bell's calling, Justin. But this is what we did. We were outside. We would play, and we would play, you know, wiffle ball and baseball and football and basketball and kick the can. I don't know. You kicked the can and ran. Uh, and wall ball. We played all these things, and we played capture the flag. It was one of, one of my favorite games. We hit on people's roofs. Uh, we hit in people's houses. They had no clue we were there. We're like, <laughs> oh, you were in the, 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 the Smith's house? Yeah, we were in the basement. You know, we, we, we just, we were everywhere in trees playing capture the flag. And here's the, here's the basis of capture the flag. You got to capture the other person's flag. It's in the name. But you got to protect your own flag at the same time. So you get the person who wasn't fast and athletic, and you're like, Timmy, sit here, protect the flag. Right? Timmy's like, Okay. Timmy's just eating a donut. That's good. Sounds like a good plan. And you're running all over the roofs, right? This is what would happen. I think this is what we like to do. We think we can do both when it comes to Jesus. We think we can protect our flag and go chase his in public. So we can protect our reputation and grab our relationship with him at the same time. But trust me, as soon as you start chasing your relationship with Jesus, your reputation is out the door. And that's okay. Are you going to be a contender or are you going to be a pretender? Which, which, which one are you going to be? I love how the Bible, all, the Bible always gives us a balance of both. If you're letting the Bible teach you the Bible and you're thinking about this moment, you're thinking, well, the Bible has to give us the other side too where someone's really proud of their relationship with God, proud of their association. And this guy named Peter, he does both, right? Uh, in the New Testament, Peter actually denies Jesus. He's like, oh, never deny you, Jesus. And then, the, you know, it happens and he denies Jesus three times in a row. That's, that's Peter. But he learns his lesson, and, in, and, in, and late in the New Testament, uh, actually in the book of Acts, not, not that late, he, he decides, I'm going to be proud of my relationship with God. So him and John are running around with, with the church, and they're just talking about Jesus all over the place. So now these haters, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the law people, uh, they're now, again, hating on Peter and John because they're bringing up the same problems. And so they decide, we're going to put Peter and John in chains, and then we're going to try to get them to not say the name of Jesus anymore. That's their plan. So Peter and John are in chains. I don't know if you've ever been in handcuffs. I've been in handcuffs a few times. Uh, that's when everything goes out the window. I mean, you're bold. You're bold going into it. As soon as they put handcuffs on, you're like, who do you want me to snitch on? Uh, you want names? You want addresses? It's just super easy, right? It was Timmy. <laughs> you know, he was protecting the flag. I don't know what he was doing. You know, you're just snitching on people as soon as you have handcuffs on. So these guys have handcuffs on, and they're ready, right? The Sanhedrin comes up to them, and they say, you know what? You cannot talk about Jesus anymore, or persecution is in your future. Here's what Peter and John say, verse 19 in, in Acts. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That is hood. Right? They just say, you do you. Do you, boo-boo. Whatever you got to do. 
You want to lock me up? Go for it. You want to persecute you? Persecute me? Guys, they're thinking about being burned at the stake. They're thinking about being crucified, beheaded. These are not small stakes here. And they stand in the face of that and they go, you do you. And they're not even done. They go back to their people. This is about 10 verses later. They're with their other disciples. And now, Lord, look upon us or look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They pray for more boldness. Would you do that? I'm not going to lie in church. I would not be doing that. I'd be thanking Jesus for my boldness, right? I'd be like, Jesus, you're welcome. Uh, I stood in the face of danger, and I talked about shit when I was very proud of my relationship with you. You're welcome. I'm one of your, I mean, I'm just be, it'd be a prayer about me, not about Jesus. These people get together, and they're like, Jesus, we want more of your boldness. Spirit, fill us with boldness. Fill us with love. Help us speak your word. My goodness. They're contenders. How about you? I mean, both these scenarios come up in your life. How about you? Um, now, I don't think that most of us are going to face this level of persecution. I think we have to contextualize this, and, and that's okay. Uh, we don't need to have American guilt here, all right? But we do need to contextualize it for ourselves. There are people all over the world that are facing this. Uh, Open Doors USA actually puts us as the most persecuted moment uh, in modern history around the world. I know we don't feel that here because we live in a, in a, a country of free speech and freedom of religion, and, and yet still we complain about it all the time. I know we don't feel that here, but people all over the world are being killed every single day. 11 people a day are being killed for, for claiming Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, we don't have to, again, face this. But we have to know, what does our persecution look like? Uh, what do our stakes look like? And we have to figure out, how are we going to be proud of our relationship with God? How are we going to be proud in public about our association with the King of Kings? I just have two ways for us to contend for Jesus. We want to be contenders. Contend for Jesus in those pressure cooker type moments. Um, actually, the first is, is kind of a, a statement, and the second is a way. But I want you to really kind of bring yourself under this. Because remember, this is not a boldness issue. This is a love issue. The first one is this. You should have haters. You should have at least a few haters. Now, let me clarify this. Because I don't, I don't want you to think that we just go out there picking fights and we're going to be those weird Christians uh, who yell at everybody, judge everybody, are not open to dialogue, and that's why people hate us. If that's you and you think that's your love for Jesus, you're not being love for Jesus, you're being annoying for Jesus, and that's not really going to work. But if you say the name of Jesus with enough authenticity, often enough, you will have people that don't want to be around you. If you're proud of your association with Jesus enough, you will have people that don't want to be around you, that ignore you on Facebook, that don't invite you to parties, that don't invite you to, to, to lunch, you're going to have it. And that's okay. It's not that they don't love you, it's that they don't love Jesus inside of you. And that's not your fault. That's not your decision to make. You should have some haters for Jesus. I think in our 
efforts to be relevant and relatable. Like, haven't we, the past 15 years, we've just been chasing being relevant and relatable as a church. In our movement to be relatable, we've sacrificed our boldness. Haven't we? I mean, there was this movement of, let's be relatable, Jesus is relevant, and so we need to be relevant. Look, the reason that Jesus and the Bible are relevant are not for the reasons that we think he is. The reasons that Jesus is relevant is because unconditional love is relevant. Unconditional love is relevant in every single scenario, in every single culture, in every single decade, spanning back to Adam and Eve. That's why God is relevant. Not because our music is like theirs, not because our dancing is like theirs, our clothes are like theirs. It's because Jesus died for us on a cross, and everybody can relate to human sacrifice for everybody else. Everybody can relate to that. That's why Jesus is relatable. It's not because our music sounds like theirs. So in our effort to have our music sound like everybody else's, we've lost our unique sound. We've lost our worshipful, deep, Holy Spirit sound. In our effort to have our voice and our language sound like everybody else's, we've lost our voice. In our effort to dress like everybody else, we've lost our modesty and our purity. In our effort to make our gatherings look like every other concert on the planet, we've lost our desire for holiness, for worship, for prayer, for the scriptures, no matter what they say. We've lost our desire for all of this, and we've traded it in for consumerism. We need to get back the haters. Because we're being who we are in Jesus. We have our uniqueness, our unique love living out before everybody else, even if it's not that relatable to the modern-day culture, and even if we don't have the T-shirts they want us to have. It, it, It doesn't matter. What matters is, are we living for Jesus with his unconditional Godly, radical love just in front of their face. That's okay if that gains us some haters. So number one, we should have some haters. We should. And number two, we should make Jesus choices in front of people. Make Jesus choices in front of people. Like every day, every day, you have the opportunity to make Jesus choices in front of people. The Holy Spirit is on you. The Holy Spirit is in you telling you, it's okay to tell your boss that you're not going to compromise that because of your, your love for Jesus. It's okay to tell your coworker you ain't, you ain't going there in conversation, but you love to talk about. It's okay to invite people, even if they turn you down. It's okay if the Holy Spirit tells you while you're at some sort of Christmas party or something that you're going to talk about Jesus, and, and you stand up, you're like, I just want to take this moment and talk about how much I love my God, and here's why. And it's okay if people think you're weird because you're making Jesus' choices out in front of people. It's all right. Make Jesus' choices in front of people. Again, boldness is not a fear issue. It's a love issue. Like if I bring my wife to, like my wife and I are going to a conference this week, and if I bring her there uh, and, and people are asking, who's that? And I'm like, oh, uh, you don't, uh, don't want to know her. And I'm embarrassed by her. Is that a boldness issue? Is it because I'm not a bold person? Is it because I'm a fearful person? Or is it a love issue? I don't love my association with her enough to be proud of my relationship and my association with her in public in front of all to see. Boldness is not a fear issue. It's a love issue. 
So if you're thinking along these routes, maybe I'm just a little bit scared. Maybe I'm an introvert. Uh, Maybe this is why I'm not speaking the name of Jesus out in public. You're wrong. It's a love issue. You're embarrassed by Jesus. And Jesus happens to be really serious about this. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. That's deep. That's deep. He ends with some serious implications. Um, we've wrapped all the way. We, we took the biggest cul-de-sac ever, and now we're wrapping all the way back to Jesus answering the haters. Remember, the haters had told Jesus, you're casting out demons because you have a demon. All right, so Jesus is going to respond uh, like a gangster, like he always does, and he's going to respond with some, with some parables. And, and here's, how he, here's how he goes about it. We're almost done here. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Satan. Makes no sense. Verse 24. If a kingdom is divided against itself, he invented this, not Abraham Lincoln. That kingdom cannot stand. We love Abraham. Abe's nice. He didn't lie. Is that George Washington or Abraham Lincoln? It was Abe, right? Really, really great on Memorial Day, Justin. Just can't even, gosh, uh, pray for me. All right. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but it's coming to an end. Like, come on, haters, it makes no sense. Verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. Unless he first binds a strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Right? Obviously, the strong man is. Verse 28, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. Every sin. And whatever blasphemies they utter. Verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, here's what Christians do in their effort to determine what the scriptures are saying, to domineer what the scriptures are saying. They sit at home like nerds in their basement and they go, is there actually a a, a sin that keeps you from going to heaven? Maybe some of you read this and you're like, shoot, have I ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit? You're thinking, I've thought that. I've lived in fear. But really what's going on here is they told Jesus the spirit inside of him was evil. The spirit inside of him was the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. You can't call the Spirit of God evil. If you think the Spirit of God's evil, you're not going to heaven, right? That's really what's going on here. It's not like, did I say something once at dinner by accident? <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you thought the same thing. You're like, oh man, I don't know if I've ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He's saying if, if you call the Spirit of God evil, again, this, this can get really and truly complicated. But let's bring it back to the simplicity to end off here. Even when I'm reading this, I'm like, Justin, you're getting really complicated on these folks. Um, The question is, do you love Jesus and do you believe it? Worship team, come up here. Do you love Jesus and do you believe it? The thing about love is it can't live in the same house as embarrassment. Love and embarrassment can't live in the same house. And you know if you love somebody, if you've crossed over the threshold of embarrassment, Right? Any of you who have ever fallen in love, one of the moments that you really knew you were in love is the moment that you were embarrassed in front of that person and you both still loved each other. Right? You're on a date, you accidentally break wind, you're like, you know what, that's okay. We love each other. Right? You cross over, the, this is a really bad illustration for the end of the sermon, you cross over the threshold of embarrassment. Because embarrassment and love cannot live in the same household. If you're embarrassed by Jesus, you don't love Jesus. 
So dive into your soul. Do I love Jesus? Am I embarrassed by Jesus? You have to realize this is the only thing that's at stake. This is it. Your embarrassment is all that's at stake. These people were going to be burned at the stake. Your embarrassment is all that it's at stake. Are you proud of your relationship with Jesus or not? All of you live in this, this context where you're going to have options to be proud of Jesus or not be proud of Jesus. And you have to really question, like, am I not bold? And if I'm not bold, do I actually love Jesus? And my, my ploy would not be to pray for more boldness yet. My ploy would be pray for more love. Pray that you would fall deeply in love with Jesus where he is your everything and you're not embarrassed by him. And then pray for more boldness. Let's close our eyes together. I want you to think of two words as we get out of here. The two words are this. Who cares? Who cares what people say? Who cares what people think of you? Who cares the box that people put you in? Who cares what people post about you? Who cares what your family mutters about you? Who cares if your boss denies you or your boss takes you down a notch? I used, to, I used to coach soccer, and I, I did it at the same time that I, uh, that I was a pastor. And so I'd walk into the parental room, because I get new parents every year, and I get sometimes a new boss every year because I was just kind of the JV coach. And I'd, first I'd tell the coach ahead of me, I'd tell that coach, look, man, I love Jesus, and it's going to come out of me, and it's going to be my testimony, and I'm going to pray with the kids, I'm going to pray for the kids, and that's the coach I'm going to be. So if that's going to be a problem, you got to kick me out now. And then I get in front of the parents. I tell the parents, look, I know there's no free, you know, there's freedom of religion, but there's separation and, of state and whatever. And I tell the parents, look, I'm going to talk about Jesus in front of your kids. So if you want to complain about me, complain about me now. Because I thought to myself, who cares? Like if, if I get fired from this thing or this family doesn't like me, who cares? Because I'm going to stand before Jesus. And I love Jesus. And he's my first love and my last love and my main love. And do I love him or not? Because if I love him, I'm going to speak his name in front of people. Do you love Jesus? Because if you love Jesus, then boldness will come out of your pores. And you'll find fear and you'll cower back sometimes. But it'll be in that moment where you have the chance to be a contender for Jesus or a pretender for Jesus. And if you pretend, you can repent and say, God, help me contend for you because I love you. I'm deeply in love with you. God, we pray this morning that we would fall deeply in love with you first and that boldness would flow out of our pores. We repent and we are sorry that we have been embarrassed by you because you are the greatest love that this world has ever known. We love you so deeply because of what you've done for us. Help us live now with love and with boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?
Let's worship. Let's pray. Let's be proud of our association with Jesus. Let's sing for him.